Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you can go to sunburymotors.com right now. Check out the great line of Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Tremendous pre-owned inventory. And you can get the buying process going there at sunburymotors.com. Play-by-play call of the day. There have been pitchers that have hit World Series homers before. Bob Gibson has done it. Dave McNally, he did it. Kenny Holtzman, he did it. It's really interesting when your first career ones in the World Series, like Joe Blanton of the Phillies. The 2-1 is hit well into left. How about Blanton going deep? You have to go back to 1974. Kenny Holtzman, the last pitcher to hit a home run. There you go. Blanton is now the 15th. See, I had Kenny Holtzman right. See, I, I still surprise you, Matt. That's why Joe Buck is as good as, as what he does. Yes. Kenny Holtzman. It's our play-by-play call of the day. All right. So now let's bring in Neil Kulong. Let's talk about the Steelers. Get going with that. Neil, welcome back. Great to have you with us. It's great to be here as always. I'm a, a, a big believer in the pastime of arguments because those who can't play argue. I think all of us can probably agree to that. And I believe that there's some people that do play that also argue. Yeah, I, I've, I've noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> it seems to be <laughs> the great unifier, ironically, right now, is everyone's ability to yeah. argue about what's going on because there is nothing else to uh, argue about, I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's. Uh, the Steelers are going to have their camp. It's going to be at Heinz Field. Uh, I don't think that's any surprise, but that's where the Steelers are going to have their camp this year. Do you see this as the if it if it goes well, the end of uh, St. Vincent College in Latrobe as a training camp? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I, I I would go into thinking about what benefits uh, the team would get. <clears throat> Um, by making such a move. Certainly there's a, a level of convenience uh, for fans in and around Pittsburgh. It, it's it's a destination for anybody who's been there. Um, more often than not, the people that you're talking to that go out there are not from the, the general Pittsburgh area. So it, there, there are people that flock to this. And to some degree, uh, you could argue that if it's in Heinz Field, you're going to be able to pack in a lot more people um, than you could have for, for the open sessions than you could have at, at St. Vincent's. Um, do the Steelers want to do that? Because most of the, of the other teams that are allowing these kinds of things have um, paid admission to certain things. Uh, I don't think the Steelers would do that. In fact, I think if, if they were interested in uh, that kind of a moneymaker, they would have done it by now. Certainly the, the Friday night um, scrimmage 
at St. Vincent High School. Uh, that, that's a huge thing in Latrobe. It's a huge thing around the area. Uh, people definitely want to come out to that. If they wanted to charge uh, fans to show up and watch and practice, I think they would have by this point. But, you know, it, most other teams do this. I think in a lot of ways uh, the league would probably like some uniformity when it comes to that. I know that it, it, it is a very unique uh, and personal experience for, for teams uh, to want to, to be able to interact that way with their fans. But um, you don't know how much longer that's going to last. Uh, will players start to make an issue of it? I, I don't know. But my guess would be the immediate future, no, they'll, they'll stay at St. Vincent's. But uh, long term, this might be, you know, kind of a pathway into, you know, some over there, some here, that type of thing. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to explore that next year. What about the field there? Let's, I mean, let's start with that. First, that field gets just ripped to shreds. Right, because of the overuse, obviously. Pitt plays there, the Steelers play there, the WPIAL at the end of the year is playing their playoffs there and so forth. But practicing on it every day is not going to be a great deal. I think you can lessen the wear and tear. And if you look at the field, you know, like, well, I guess any uh, field toward the end of the season, sure. um, you, you see where the, you see where the trenches are. You see where the real damage is being done. Yeah. Um, they're, they're going to have to work extra hard. You can just say that. I, I know that oftentimes they are resodding the field uh, throughout right. the year to try to make it as serviceable as they can. But right. um, I'm trying to put this in a diplomatic way. If, if the Pittsburgh Steelers organization had huge reservations about their field, we would have seen them do a lot more than they've done over the last 15, 20 years. Well, that's, uh, you remember but, that Monday night game against the Dolphins in which yeah. you know a, a swamp uh, appeared underneath the sod that they had already laid and made the, the playing condition right. essentially unplayable. I mean, that was the most non-NFL game I think I've ever seen that wasn't uh, that wasn't played by a team from Ohio. So it, you put all that together, I, I don't think the Steelers feel that it's going to be a problem um should they i i don't know i guess we'll find out in october as opposed to uh november this season because it'll it'll break down a lot faster you're exactly right because that field year in and year out's rated one of the worst in the league yeah certainly from aesthetics as well as the the playing surface itself um you don't know if this is a gag order thing or not but you, you don't hear the players complaining about it a whole lot uh by and large um, I, I think kickers would be evaluated pretty uh, heavily yeah. in that discussion. Um, you, you've never heard Chris Boswell complain about the surface. You haven't heard Sean Sweezum complain about the surface. Um, they both were, you know, pretty dead-eyed kickers within that stadium, uh, even late in the season. And it, it's a pretty tough place to kick. Uh, they're able to do it. Um, you're, you're seeing offensive and defensive records broken by the Steelers on that field. I don't think it's too much of a concern. There are some that might. Uh, that might put more into it, perhaps, than, than is warranted. But um, they could do a better job of it as well. I, I think they'll probably just look to uh, to really patch it up ahead of time, um, try to give it something uh, after camp would end, too. I don't think Pitt would play there for another couple weeks uh, beyond the Steelers' right. uh, training camp. So it, it might give them enough time to be able to, to – you know, kind of redo the area as much as uh, as much as reasonable. Has there been any talk about not having preseason games and just having scrimmages, or are they just going ahead with this as if life, for the most part, were normal? I think, and, and we've talked about this a couple times. I, I think the NFL is letting the fuse run all the way down. They're going to let the clock run to zero and not take any action unless they absolutely have to. And what they're really hoping for 
is uh, some precedent to go first. They're they're the the circle of penguins right now, squeezing the one to to drop into the water and test if the shark is there. They want the NHL, Major League Baseball, uh, the NBA to have uh, it, crowds on hand. They they want that exposure. They want to be able to see that and see what happened with that before they would make any decision. Where they would go right now, um, preseason would be. Uh, mini camp is going to go sooner rather than later. They're going to announce that. They're just going to have some kind of rolled up training camp type of experience. We're going to hear that sooner rather than later. After that, the, the preseason games would be the first ones to go. Uh, in lieu of that, I think they will uh, explore the idea of joint practices. They've already said that they're not going to allow those as they've been scheduled. Um, depending on the logistics of all of it, they might there might be a way to get three or four teams together to do like a quad a quad right. practice or or something. Um, <clears throat> I think everybody in the situation needs to be a bit open minded and a bit flexible about the the problems that they have facing them and what they can do about them. So I think with that, uh, they'll explore it. I'm not sure, but you know, if you've been to a preseason game, I'm sorry. If you've been to uh, <laughs> a live team on team practice, then I'm sure that you want to see it again because it's a really cool experience. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's great for the fans. I think it's great for the players. You definitely see a much higher level of competition. Uh, they're going after each other, certainly a lot harder than they would in the preseason. Um, and there's enough reps to go around to, to make it feel like it was fun to watch and not enough to you know beat up your your main guys you still get a real good look at the younger guys that you're trying to get looks to it's to me it's just a much more fulfilling experience if you're a fan if you want to watch one thing or the other you want to watch the practice not the preseason game so i hope that they do um you hope that they're available to do that uh we're, we're able um to put them in a situation where it's safe to do that. I think they'll explore it. In the end, I wouldn't be at all surprised, though, if what we have is a truncated training camp followed by dive right on into week one. Because I think in the end, what they want is the most regular season games played as possible. And they'll do whatever they can to push this into September if they have to before kind of figuring out exactly how they're going to play it. We've seen how active Anthony Lynn has been. In the current circumstances, how how much is the Steelers organization helped by the fact that they have Mike Tomlin? Um, that, that's a that's a tough question. Um, if we go by Tomlin's history, he has not gone out of his way often uh, to speak on matters of race. I understand that, but I, I think when we have seen and heard uh, Mike Tomlin address those matters, he does so in a way that it leaves no doubt for the future where he stands on all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we saw that recently in the defense of one of his own players, Mason Rudolph, the way that he jumped on that was, was way out of the way out of character for him uh, to go about it publicly. Um, I think those that know him well know perfectly where he stands on, on a topic like this, but I don't think it is his way um, to call attention to it. Now I I say that because I don't want to act if, if, and let's be honest too. I mean, because Tiger Woods has never been like that either. Yep, and many people have, and they have their reasons for doing that. Yeah. Um, Anthony Lynn's reasons are his own. I, yeah. I read the, the column that he had, the interview that he did with the L.A. Times. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, it, he spoke to the heart of an issue, and he felt compelled to do that. I have no problem with that. I also no. know that um, I'm, 
I assure you everybody in the Steelers organization has a high level of respect for Mike Tomlin yeah. and where he might stand on all this, not to mention everybody else that's in the organization. It, it's not a franchise that feels that they have to go out and advertise their position. And when they do, it's going to come from Art Rooney. Um, that's just the way things work. Uh, if and when Mike Tomlin feels a need to sound off about it publicly, he will. Um, I, I trust though, that he will discuss the matter at hand with what he had with, you know, designated leaders or the team as a whole. Uh, whenever they assemble again, I'm sure it'll be a topic that comes up. Um, and every team is going to have to deal with it. There's Whether no they question. Want to or not. It, it's a conversation that's going to have to happen. And I, I think Mike is the type of guy that is not afraid to have that conversation. He just doesn't feel the need to air it to, to millions of people to make the point he needs to make. And, of course, Anthony Lynn has a connection here at Penn State because his son Danton played here at Penn State. And Danton's now coaching in the league, as a matter of fact. Okay, so between – okay, there are no OTAs at this you – know, and there won't be. Uh, in this particular year. So how interesting is going to be the first couple of weeks of the camp we just talked about, considering that the the players are going to be on their own doing what, whatever they can to work out and get ready? That's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Um, I bet the teams are almost cringing over the thought of this. And I'll, I'll say this. Um, I'm not reporting it in any way. I will say that I've heard this story from multiple people um, close to the Steelers at the time that this happened. Uh, ben Roethlisberger got married um, leading into the 2011 season, which you might recall was yes. the, the lockout. I at his wedding, offensive tackle Max Starks was there, as was uh, Steelers personnel. Um, they weren't allowed to discuss football-related stuff. I'm sure everyone followed that 100%. Absolutely. Of the of the uh, there's, a, so many, there's a lot of honor. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure both sides really respected that part of it. But uh, it was interesting that Max Starks was released very early into training camp when it was reported he showed up. He didn't look very good. He wasn't in the best shape. And from what I've heard, it was worse at Roethlisberger's wedding. So they didn't feel he was in shape. They made the decision on him, um, as it would turn out, far earlier than they should have because they signed him back for twice as much after week five of the season when they had the, the, some of the worst – Uh, pass protection I think we've seen from the Steelers organization in several decades Um, conditioning is going to be the factor experience is going to be maybe slightly less than that but you put those two things together the veteran players know how to get themselves in shape and ready to go and are going to need as little uh, coordination and little preparation to start the season as possible those are going to be the best teams and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see something like an 8-8 eight and eight team favored to win the Super Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised to see a team that starts off 6-0 and not win a game again the rest of the year. In a lot of ways, it's almost like it's working into the, the, a mentality like the 1987 strike. It, yeah. If you can get through the early part of this when guys simply are not going to be in shape and fans are really going to start to see the amount of work that these guys uh, put in the offseason – who is doing it, which teams really emphasize and which teams don't. Um, all those things are going to be on display early. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have teams falling apart in the second half. Guys are not going to be in shape because, frankly, my experience, and I'm, I'm sure there are NFL players that would take great exception to this, my experience is a lot of those guys would not put in the work unless they're being forced to put it in. Right now they're not being really forced to put it in. They don't even have a mini camp that they have to show up and, right. and step on a scale. So – 
I don't know. I it, it's it's going to be crazy. We've seen some pretty bizarre starts uh, to the last couple of years. I think this one's going to be the, the craziest we've seen. Um, I, I'd call. I Joe, wouldn't know I'd, what to expect. I'd call Joe Gibbs because when it comes to strikes, he wins Super Bowls. Yep, I think he has two, exactly two, right. two of them, right? Two of the three were strike yep. years. 82, 82 and 87. Yeah, The 91 was just kind of a weird year in the NFL as it is. But when, when you have but he a pro- coach he that, proved he could do it with a full schedule that year. <laughs> yep, yep, he's got that. He did it, he did it with everything. Yeah. <laughs> Few coaches had to climb the odd obstacle to win, you know? Yeah. A guy like, like Jimmy Johnson, all he's got to do is, is get the Herschel Walker trade working in his advantage and then just draft a bunch of guys that people didn't usually draft and you, you turn yourself into a powerhouse Gibbs yeah. has got to have you know half his team sit out for six weeks before he can do anything <laughs> they're all rested that's a real coach <laughs> yeah. right. now he's out there coaching NASCAR yeah yeah I guess and they're yeah. back on the track I hear and that's as far as I know about NASCAR Joe Gibbs is involved and I know they're racing again now Oh, well, that's because you guys just told me while I was waiting. <laughs> a lot of left turns, man. A lot of left turns. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure, sir. Uh, one, one of these days, uh, we'll you know, you and I will get together and we'll go to Jennerstown and watch a race. And then after about two, yeah, let's do it. Then after two laps, we'll go out and get go to a restaurant. <laughs> from, from dizzy with a headache, it's like okay, cool, we we saw it. <laughs> that um, was the experience. Friend this guy turned left in a more efficient manner than everybody else, and apparently he won the, the race. It's great. Good thing. I'll, I'll tell you a story. That's about, it. I'll tell you a story about one of the great guys on the planet, and that's Jeff Brown, who works here at the radio station. He's one of the great guys, the morning guy on the bus. And one time he was working, I can't remember which station he was working at, at the time. It was either Texas or it may have been down there. They did a promotion where they had to drive the car in a race you know it's like a prelim thing it's just for publicity to get all the radio stations down there and according to him the guy whose car he had he said now look whatever you do don't take the stick and don't put it into this gear here he goes okay so he goes out there and he's going around and around and around and he's, he's not gaining any ground on anybody so he decides the heck with he's going to put the stick into the gear <laughs> boom he takes off now, he thinks he's flying by I mean he thinks he's going probably 200 miles an hour later on they go to a restaurant and they had a tape of the race up there and he says to me Steve I kept looking at it. I couldn't believe how slow I was going. <laughs> in reality, he's only going like eight miles an hour. Yeah, Everyone else is just going two-thirds of a mile an hour. All just going so slow compared to the guys that actually race. <laughs> he said, but he said, I threw it into that gear. Boy, I got some pop. He said, I think he got yelled at afterward for doing it, but he asked for forgiveness later. Neil. He claimed the same moment. He once almost destroyed a parade. Because he's just too fast. <laughs> oh, a parade, yeah. Oh, well, I got a parade story. <laughs> I actually do. I, I'm in a, um, I'm in, Jeff, in fact, it's Jeff again. Jeff and I are in a parade. And I was the only one that could drive with a clutch. Well, the vehicle we have has a clutch, so I'm the only person going to drive the darn thing. So we are, we're behind these, um, young majorettes that, I don't know, they range from anywhere from 6 to 10 years of age, somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Well, we're in this parade, and you're trying to go, and you're trying to go uphill. 
and uphill. And of course, the last thing you want to do is you want to like go like, hey, you know, and all since like picked off, you know, young, you can't do that. So you're trying to keep some distance. We're going up this one hill, Neil. And I can smell the clutch. <laughs> I'm thinking this is not going to go well. <laughs> we survived. <laughs> we survived. My friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my friend. I know. My friend, it was a 4th of July thing or something like that, whatever it was. Hey, Neil, always a pleasure, even with the stories. Stories are the best part. <laughs> I'm enjoying that. <laughs> no problem. Hey, be good. So we'll thanks, talk. thanks for having me. You guys have a good one. We'll talk to you. Yeah, we'll talk to him next week. Neil Kulong. We'll come back with more in a moment. Oh, I got a thousand stories. When you've been around 2.1 billion years, you get a lot of stories. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you go to sunburymotors.com. Check out the great line of Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, pre-owned inventory. You can go through the entire process uh, from the comfort of your own living room if you want. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Duke Athletic Director Kevin White says he is concerned about the potential abuse of name, image, and likeness legislation. I also think there's an unfair recruiting advantage that might result. Yo, Kevo, you're a Duke. <laughs> I was about to a, say, is he serious right now? You you have a basketball program. <laughs> okay. White's comments on Twitter today came in support of North Carolina Athletic Director Bubba Cunningham. Oh, my God. Who said last week the name, image, and likeness legislation would compel collegiate athletics to abandon a model that flourished. So what did White say? Along with my colleague and friend Bubba Cunningham of the University of North Carolina, I am concerned about the potential complications attended upon the actual implication of NIL legislation. How will it impact recruiting? Will it create an open marketplace in which institutions solicit businesses or boosters to offer ever-escalating endorsement deals to a star high school quarterback or point guard? Will resources from equipment, apparel, and shoe companies be restricted to a relatively few individuals rather than being shared equally among lesser-known but no less valuable Olympic sports? 
While White's statement suggests a sense of fear and concern about the upcoming changes after the NCAA Board of Governors announced its support for new name, image, and likeness rules in April, both North Carolina and Duke have been working with a consultant to actually capitalize on NAL rules in recruiting. INFLCR, a firm hired by Duke, released a case study last month in conjunction with the school. It says individual Duke men's basketball players could collectively have made $1.3 million through branded posts on their social media accounts during the 1920 season if name, image, and likeness rules would have been allowed to them. The social media accounts of former star Cassius Stanley, per the firm, would have earned more than $400,000 alone in ad dollars. making me think twice now about social media. The firm used a formula that accounted for the popularity of the program, the individual athlete's popularity, and other factors. It's fun to play in a big stage, but there are financial implications to choosing a Duke versus another place, said David Bradley, creative director for Duke Men's Basketball, who helps the players manage their individual brands. Now in recruiting, you're going to see it become more of a focus. They have their own guy that helps players manage their individual brands. It's like being branded as the dude from Ward 4. (laughs) INFLCR is also conducting similar studies for other major programs, including North Carolina and Kentucky basketball. Two of its 600 clients across amateur and pro sports. A case study the firm conducted for Auburn football revealed the market for Auburn quarterback Bo Nix last season would have been about $3,500 for every branded social media post. Gad. You need to start posting more under my name. <laughs> I guess so. But with all due respect to Duke and UNC especially, they wouldn't be complaining about this if they didn't get caught breaking the rules in the first place. I'm just throwing that out there. You're just you're just a bitter guy. <laughs> I'm I'm just calling them out. Look, I know, I know your son had shots today, so I know you're off kilter. Okay, so he's good little, though. He's good. Little little Luke had his shots today, and you're kind of you know you're wound up. And once again, by the way, mom had to go through it. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I can. Uh, what was Zion Williamson worth? I can only imagine. I feel like after reading this, in all seriousness, I'm not kidding about this. Um, I feel like if this is true, then I've obviously downplayed the numbers players could get. I've always always felt that the I mean, who's the star in college basketball right now? There really isn't any. There really wasn't one last season either. Yeah, in the end. It came down to Luca Garza and Obi Toppin for National Player of the Year. But Obi Toppin didn't become a name to 
the average fan until about, I don't know, three weeks to a month ago in the season. With all due respect to Luca Garza, very popular in Iowa, the rest of the country looks at him and says, okay, he's a really good player. It sounds like a lot of this is based on social media following. And that's the part, to be honest with you, I I don't have a handle on the social media part. I really don't. In other words, you put out social media posts and it can be sponsored? Does that sound right? Or your site can be sponsored? Does that sound right? That sounds about right. Okay. Wow. And you get the money from it. That's, uh, boy, I, I didn't realize the numbers could be like that. Now, let's face it, this firm also, I mean, this firm also could be overinflating numbers. Cassius Stanley, $1.3 million? Really? No offense, but he he wouldn't be the star on Penn State's team. One point three million dollars. White, by the way, has worked in college athletics for forty-five years. He previously was the athletic director at Notre Dame, Arizona State, Tulane, Maine, and Loras College in Iowa. He's also the chair of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee's Collegiate Advisory Council. So he's very active in all of this. But wow, that's—I never realized the number—the number would be like this. million? I'd like to see what the Kentucky numbers would be like. You know, for basketball. And then, you know, now you're looking at Auburn football. What would the numbers have been for, for example, Tua Tunga Viola? Oh, 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 boy. Again, you have to have a social media presence. Most young people do. About Trevor Lawrence, Clemson for football, yeah, or any 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 high power ACC or SEC school for that matter, right? Now Jay Billis, Duke grad, attorney, analyst, and he's been at the forefront of name, image, and likeness. Billis did not take it easy on his alma mater. He fired off a couple of tweets this uh, today, taking shots at White. This is stunning in its tone deafness, Billis wrote in his first tweet. It says the money is ours to pay ourselves fair market and should not be redirected to where clear value lies. We shall call for strict equality here only as we fail to provide equal resources to each sport or athlete. Further, we are worried about recruiting. and know the most important key to winning and financial gain is procuring athletes. We point to a hand-picked relative few that parrot us, but ask you to ignore the athletes that will benefit the most. It's our money, not theirs. 
Now, they're supposed to have some guidelines in place by October 31st, and they would like to vote on it in January. But there's still some talk that they may delay that October 31st deadline for um, putting together guidelines. It's uh, it's interesting, but, but I'm stunned at the number, the money. Bo next week at thirty five hundred dollars. What? That sound right? Per post? That's insane. Well, you'll see him in Beaver Stadium a year from now. Because <laughs> Auburn's coming in here next year, a year. I mean, I realize that, for example, let's take him. He has obviously really good potential, but he's okay right now. He's an you know okay sophomore to be. He could break out and have a great year this year because, you know, with a year under his belt and the speed of the game and so forth, he could break out. But you're talking about somebody who, as a freshman, was okay, not great. And you're telling me he can get $3,500 a post? $3,500. How much money is that? I mean, I'm talking when it's all said and done. It is, uh, wow, that's stunning. I never realized it was, I never realized it could be that kind of money. Hmm. Imagine what, imagine what the suit's posts are worth. He's, he's doing all this Instagram stuff all the time. St. Louis Cardinals owner Bill DeWitt Jr. claims Major League Baseball is not very profitable. Uh, The industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest, in an interview. He's not just talking about the 2020 season, which has been on hold. With the exception of the Atlanta Braves, who are part of the Liberty Media portfolio and are quite profitable, Major League Baseball teams aren't publicly traded, thus are under no obligation to disclose their financials. That's why owners attempt uh, certain deceptions. See, here's where the NFL okay, where the NFL struggles to get around this. It's called the Green Bay Packers. See, everybody knows what the cut is for the media and other things along the line because the Packers, as a publicly traded company, have to put it out there. 
I believe the Celtics do, too, because the Celtics have stock. Even lower-revenue franchises like the Pirates and Marlins are revealed to be highly profitable. Yes, the Pirates make money, by the way. Now, the old story about you have to spend money to make money, Pirates kind of blow that right out of the water. No, no, we don't have to spend any money. Here's one that I mentioned George Springer, I think, yesterday. This is where you take the rules and you bend them in your direction. And you do it, again, by looking at the fan going, please. George Springer enters this season, 2020, one game short of free agency. And it was planned that way. It was planned that way. His service time. They deliberately, in his rookie year, didn't bring him up till later so they could do this and keep him an extra year. It's stuff like that that turns people off. But but Major League Baseball is not as profitable as people think. I'll tell you what's profitable. Posting as the quarterback at Auburn could be. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. So Cassius Stanley, who is going to leave Duke after one year, being a one-and-done, which was expected, and has entered the NBA draft. This firm, INFLCR, claims that Duke players, basketball players, could have collectively made $1.3 million through branded posts on their social media accounts during the 1920 season under name, image, and likeness rules, and that Cassius Stanley all of 13 points and five rebounds a game, uh, would have made nearly a third of that at $400,000 alone just in ad dollars. Good. Bo Nix last season would have earned $3,500 for every branded social media post. $3,500 for every branded media post. You do do 100 of those, you end up with $350,000. There's a guy in the back corner office right now that's rethinking our social media thing here. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure he is. Because in the end, he's all about the streaming all right. I just find that remarkable. I never would I never would have thought that. I mean, usually I'm pretty good about staying in touch with things like this, but not that. Wow. I don't know. Uh, I didn't realize that uh, now let's face it let's take Bo Nix I'm sure his 
I don't know what he uses. Instagram, Twitter. It seems like Instagram's going more, like the players seem to trend more toward Instagram. Yeah, it sounds know. about right. Those are those are the two popular ones for most players now is Twitter and yeah. Instagram, but especially Instagram and TikTok too. So you get a branded post, get advertising for it. Because let's face it, let's take Nick's. He's the Auburn quarterback. So I'm sure you have enough followers out there that want to know his deepest, most inner thoughts. Really, I admit I'm not one of them. I, <laughs> when it comes time for him to play Penn State, I'll announce what he's doing. <laughs> I don't need to know his deep inner thoughts. <laughs> but you have some fans out there that do. 3500 per post. Not $3,500 for the account. Per post. Cassius Stanley could have made $400,000 for Duke this year. Really? He's a good player. He will, in, the, in the NBA, he'll end up being a journeyman. 6'6". I could see him playing for anywhere from four to eight teams in the course of his career. Kind of like Brandon Ingram. Good player, but... Another player that's going to put you over the top. We should get Mark Lawrence a branded account. Oh, jeez. I think I think we could rake in. I mean, you and I could pick up the residuals. Joe McGranahan, branded account. <laughs> 